Welcome to post Valentine's Day. You made it. You guys remember, I've had my own struggles with Valentine's Day and my successes of appreciating my wife. Uh, <clears throat> but I had an experience this week uh, that was, was really great. And it didn't even have to do with my Valentine's Day. There's another young man who heard about my story. And I saw him in the grocery store days before Valentine's Day preparing. And he said, I'm taking to heart what you said. Don't wait until the last minute. Give gifts on the way to it. And I was like, at least I led him in the right direction, even though I have failed, right? So good. Uh, my wife sent me some Valentine's Day slides, uh, some cards, some sayings on it. You put up that first one. It's better to be single like Paul. Happy Valentine's Day. Next one. Right? I, I, as my wife sent me these this week, I thought, am I laughing at these because I'm a pastor and I like the Bible? Thanks for confirming that I'm not just some fuddy-duddy. Next one. <laughs> that one I can appreciate. Can you go to the last one? You're the only one for me, because you're the only one that's here. Man. Uh, so I don't know if you know this, but you're here and we're going to talk about Song of Songs, uh, which is a book that we don't typically, I say we, the church doesn't dive into in depth a whole lot for specific reasons, I think. And so every week we send out a church-wide email, almost every week. And so I preemptively told you that this was going to be a PG-13 message. So you're either here because it's a PG-13 message or you didn't get the email. <laughs> a fair warning. We're going to be talking about uh, the passage in Genesis 2 that says that the man leaves his parents, joins his wife, and becomes one. So we've titled this message, Two Lovers Becoming One. And I realize that there are many people here and many people with different experiences. Not all of us are married. Not all of us are currently married. And yet, what I would challenge you to do is whether or not this specifically talks to your married life or your experience, that you would latch on to some of the principles that I'm giving you and you would apply them to your life. I don't have enough time to dissect marriage and singlehood and all of the circumstances in the time that I have right now. So I'm entrusting myself and you and this message to the Lord and hoping that he does what he wants with us. So, if I were to tell you that I was going to, or if you were the average Christian, okay, and I was the average pastor, 
and I told you that I was going to preach a message about marriage and sex, you would say, what I think you would say is, you're going to present me with a bunch of rules. These are the things that you can and cannot do, mostly tending towards the things that you cannot do. Would you agree? It's what I have typically heard from preachers, from pastors regarding marriage and sex. These, this is the thing that you can't do. Actually, when I was young, my parents attended a Presbyterian church in South Carolina. It was one of the oldest churches um, in the South, actually survived the Civil War. And I remember going there as a young man. I was probably 10 to 12 years old, and I was in the youth group, and they were teaching about this topic. And the whole brunt, the whole message was uh, that we should take this gift that we have. They actually handed me a box, a wrapped box with ribbons and curls and wrapping paper. I held it in my hand, and they said, it's your job to remain abstinent until you get married. And what I heard, chubby little Matt, sitting in that chair in the middle of the room, heard, if I do good, God will give me a wife. And if he's going to give me a wife, then it's probably way better than the one that I could get on my own. Does that make sense? What's the problem with that statement? If I do good, God will do something. The problem with that statement is that it's not the gospel. The gospel is God did something by giving up his son in order for us to have freedom. Amen? That's how it works. But that's not the message that I heard. I'm not sure that that's exactly what they said, but that's what I picked up on, and I latched on to it like nothing else. I'll be good if I can get this outcome. And so I took that little box wrapped in wrapping paper, and I put it on my shelf in my bedroom, and I committed myself to not going down that road. And then I got to college, and I met other people who called themselves Christians, but didn't really do the same things. Scott, can you throw up that slide? Of um, One path is to find love through pursuing the rules. That's what I was on. And then I saw a bunch of other people who weren't doing that. They were not following the rules. And it seemed like things were going okay for them. Had dated a couple girls in high school, didn't work out, chalked that up to that wasn't the one God had for me. And then I got to college my senior year and I met a girl. And I thought, surely this is the girl. I've been good. This is the girl that God wants to place in my life. And so I graduated college, moved to town permanently so I could pursue that relationship. And then guess what? She broke up with me. And I spent the next couple of weeks lying in my bed when I wasn't required to be out crying and watching Napoleon Dynamite wondering, why do people say this movie is good?
Guess what happens when you pursue the rules and they don't work out? When the intended outcome of you following the rules doesn't bear fruit, what do you do? You throw that little gift wrap box that's empty in the trash and you become, next slide, Scott, incontinent. Everyone in this room just went, you mess your pants? Chris is probably Googling what incontinent means. Surely he's got the wrong word. The second definition of incontinent is unrestrained desires. Specifically, sexual desires. What happens when the rules don't go well? Toss out the rules and you pursue your own gratification however, whenever you want. And then in the middle of this, of these two paths of finding love, you have Scripture and the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs is a book of poems written between a man and a woman, mostly a woman, and with some others mixed in there, What they're primarily doing is telling you how they feel, how they act, what their thoughts are, what their desires are for one another. And that it does not lack sensual pleasures. It's going to tell you how they taste, how they smell, how they see, how they feel about one another. So these men, uh, this man and this woman, are dedicated towards each other, but they're probably not married. So here's the two questions that I want us to answer as we traverse Song of Songs. Question number one, what does Song of Songs build its understanding of love on? What's the foundation? How do we understand the concept of love, marriage, and sex? Secondly, what does it ultimately aim towards? What does it ultimately aim towards? The first concept, the first principle that I find in Song of Songs is pursuit are you going to find love? You pursue it. What's happening throughout the passages as the man and the woman traverse poems back and forth to each other is that typically the poems begin with the man or the woman being separated from the other. And throughout the poem, as they go together in the individual poems, what they're trying to do is close the gap between each other. We start from far away, and I want to come closer to you. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. This is the woman speaking. Listen, my lover, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My lover spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. 
The woman is looking for the one. And the man is looking for her. If you're a young man, you should not peer through lattice or windows at other women. That's a great way to get arrested. That's not culturally how we do things. But still, they're looking for one another. They're in pursuit of one another. Aaron told you last week that the way that happened with him is that he got invited to a Sadie Hawkins dance. And it wasn't until I met Aaron that I even knew what a Sadie Hawkins dance was, which means that in my childhood, no one asked me to hate a Sadie Hawkins dance. (laughs) My story of moving towards marriage is completely different than his, which is fine. Throughout most of my life, I came to places of worship, churches, for one sole purpose, to find a girl. It's what I was looking for. I'm going to walk in this building and find a young girl and meet her and tell her how good I've been at following the rules. And guess what? Most of the buildings that I walked into had what kind of people in them? Q-tips. Do you guys know what a Q-tip is? No one knows what a Q-tip is? You do? What's a Q-tip? An old person. A person with white fluffy hair because they look like Q-tips. So I walked into most of these buildings and there was no young woman to pursue, right? I came for the wrong reason. And then in about my 30s, I met a guy who invited me to his church and And I had run the gamut. I've followed the rules. I've done my own gratification. This is not working out. Maybe I'll try it again. I'll grace the doors of a church. And I understood before I walked in that door that if I don't come into this place looking for Jesus, I'm doing it wrong. It's something was speaking in my heart to come to this place and see him. And I walked through those doors and guess what? The entire place looked exactly like every other church I'd ever been in, but there were no Q-tips. There were only college students and young professionals. And I thought, I I went to the wrong places all, all those years. Now I'm here, and I know that I can't go down this road. And then you read Luke 9.23. Jesus is speaking. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. In God's pursuit of us, he's calling us to pursue him. And it was at this moment in my life, during this time frame, that I began to to order my thinking and change the way. This isn't about the rules anymore. This is about him. And when I started to pursue him, he did something. After about a year and a half of attending this church and pursuing him, I felt like it was okay for me to, to look. Are there any women in here that I would maybe? And then I noticed her. And she stood out above everyone else in the church. In fact, 
I found out later there were many guys who had asked her out, and she's like, nah, she's kicking them away. In fact, that's exactly how it happened with me. She's like, I, I, don't, I don't see that happening, but I still married her. <laughs> I became singularly focused in pursuit on this one woman. It was like predator and prey. <laughs> the lover in Song of Songs says it like this. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. There's nobody else in here that will do. You have to be it. What had happened is my pursuit had gone from something, a relationship, to someone. And it began with pursuing him. And then... And only then was I allowed to pursue the next stage of that, a woman. And so my pursuit was leading me to something. And you know, of course, those of you who are married or dating, you know that when you set your eyes on someone, something starts to give birth in your imagination of what would it be like to have a relationship with this, with this person? And your desires begin to blossom and you're like, I don't know that I can handle this. Anybody? Just me. No one in this room has any desire, if you know what I'm talking about. Number two, desire. Song of Songs, 5-1. Hold on. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. What he's saying is, I took all of it in. And the others look on this and say, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Proverbs 15, 18, or 5, 18 through 20. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Lovely, dear, and gracious one, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Anyone uncomfortable? God has given you natural desires. Desires to pursue other things that we don't talk about very often. And he's not giving you those desires to tempt you or to lead you down dark paths. He's given you them for a purpose. 1 Corinthians, this isn't on the screen, but you should take note of it. 1 Corinthians 7, 8 through 9. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, as Paul is. Verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This desire is welling up in you, and you need some way to deal with that. 
And so the, the avenue for you to do that is through marriage. It's through, it's through the pursuit of one and finding that person and saying, you're going to be the one that I do this with, that I live this life with, that I experience this with. And so what God is doing is he's not saying, just get rid of the desires, stop having them. What he's saying is, this is the direction that I want you to take those desires. This is the avenue where you can experience those things. And if we, as the church, cannot talk about sex in general, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go somewhere else to talk about that. You're going to go out into the world and say, hey, what do you guys think about this thing? And guess what? The world isn't going to lead you towards holiness. They're going to lead you towards self-gratification, towards messing your pants. So you have a pursuit, and now you have a desire. And your desire is to have and to hold someone in marriage. And that, marriage, and that, that desire is pushing you towards something. What is that thing? Number three, intimacy. Song of Psalms, chapter 8, 1 and 2. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. If I had found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. Now, Aaron used this last week, and I agree, this is weird. But you've got to divorce yourself from what we're talking about for a second. Take yourself to five-year-old you, and you have your best friend coming over to play all day. We're going to play in my house. Where do you play? You play in your room. You play in the den. It's what Southerners call a living room. Because the living room is where all mom's nice stuff is, and you don't go in there. You play in the den, and you play outside. Where do you not go? Into mom and dad's room. Don't go there. That's not for you. I go there. And yet this woman is saying to her lover, come into my mom's room where she conceived me, where she nursed me. What she's saying here is, I want you to know me in the depths of my being, in the most private, intimate place that there ever could be. What more intimate place is there than you meeting with your mother and being nurtured and cared for and sustained by her. There isn't one. That's one of the most intimate connections that any human on earth ever has. And yet this woman is saying, I want you to know me all the way there. I want you to know my, the depths of my weakness. I want you to know the heights of my strength. I want you to know everything about me. John 15, 9 and 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is saying, come with me to the most intimate relationship that I have, and it's with my Father, and I want you to be a part of that loving relationship along with me, to know the depths of me, to know, know every intricacy of my being. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, 
For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. There's nothing that's hidden from you. You have it all. All of me is exposed before you. When you hit that level of exposure to someone else, guess what? They have a certain power over you, a knowledge of understanding you, and they could take that and just butcher you with it, right? I mean, she knows everything. My wife will often say, I know you better than you know yourself. I don't even understand what I'm thinking, and she can tell me what's happening. And I go, you you are exactly right. That is what's happening. So what does that require? This level of desire, meeting this level of intimacy. What does it require of us to have in this union? Number four, security. Song of Songs 4, 12 through 13. You are a garden locked up. My sister, my bride, you are a spring, a closed fountain, a sealed fountain. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruit. The imagery here is that These two people come into a garden, and in this garden, there is no limitation for them. You can have anything you want in here. All of the fruit that I have is yours. And yet, who is allowed to enter into this space with these two? No one. The walls of the garden are locked. The door's locked. There's only two behind it. Song of Songs 2.16, the woman talking to the man, my lover is mine, I am his. He browses among the lilies. He explores. He explores all that this garden has. But it's within the security of it being just me and you. Reminds you of anything? How about... Genesis, Adam and Eve walking through the garden. The only command, just don't eat that one tree. But everything else you can enjoy. Go for it. To the the degree that they are completely um, exposed before one another. And who else is in there with them? Who else is invited to that spot? It's only one. The Lord. The Lord is walking with them in the coolness of the day. The Lord is there. Titus 2.4 says that he gave himself to redeem us, to purify us. Why? So that we could be his possession. 
so that we could be his and his alone. That's what the Lord is driving for. It's for us to be his and him to be ours. You are mine and no one else can have you. Number five, true devotion. The contrast here is going to play out in two different pieces of Song of Songs. And it's going to highlight cheap love versus sacrificial love. In chapter three, the woman and her friends are looking out over the countryside and what they see coming is what's referred to as a column of smoke. And the column of smoke, at the, at the base of that column of smoke, is a carriage. A carriage that has been made with loving adoration for Solomon. And Solomon's riding in it. Surrounding Solomon is 60 men. 60 of the best men Israel has to offer. All mighty warriors. And the woman looks on this scene in all of its glory and says, that doesn't compare to my love. All what you've got there, I don't want. I want this one. I'll choose him. And then the man in, verse, in chapter 6, it's just a little phrase. He says he sees 60 queens and 80 concubines. And right after that, he says, no one compares to the perfect one. Doesn't matter how many you are, you're not her. Then Song of Songs 8, verse 7 says, if one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. See, earthly royalty doesn't compare. Earthly riches aren't going to add up. There's some debate over who wrote this book, even though it has Solomon's name at the beginning. Some people say it's Solomon. And some people argue that because the female voice is so prevalent, it must have been some woman because it's written like a romance novel, right? This isn't, this isn't from Solomon, surely. The woman's voice occupies more than 50% of the text. The man's only 30-something. I haven't seen this really anywhere else. This is just my own theory. Is that it is Solomon who wrote it and that he chose to write it in this fashion because just like when he wrote Ecclesiastes he looks on looks back on his life and says I'm not sure that I really got any of this right in the same way that he looks at all of his marriages he looks at it and says I'm not sure that I got any of this right I tried to do it with 700 women but none of them really love me none of them really know me to the depths of my soul because there's just not enough of me to go around I don't have enough time to develop enough of a relationship with these people and so what he's saying on repeat four different times throughout the whole text. Surely this has to be meaningful for him to repeat it four times. He says 
in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, he says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, in your youth is what he means, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. What Solomon is saying there is, don't do what I did. Don't pursue love the way that I did. Through gratifying myself, through following the rules, that's not the way forward. I don't think there's anyone at the end of their life that would look back on their sexual exploits and say, you know what, it was worth it. There's nobody that I know. Solomon is saying, if I had known just one, if I had just loved one woman, not aiming for the rules, I'm not aiming for self-gratification, for a momentary physical fulfillment of my desire, but instead, the foundation looks like pursuing someone, finding your desire in that one person, being known by them, being secure in that relationship, not feeling exposed to anyone else, and being devoted to just one. But at the end of the day, what this foundation is doing is not pointing towards love. These are the exact steps that you need in order to pursue Jesus. See, I thought way back when, if I could just find a woman to love and who will love me, I'll be whole, I'll be okay. And then I got married to a woman that I did not choose, but God gave me. I really feel like that. And even then, she did not fill all the desires that was happening in here. I still, day by day, have to lean into the Lord and trust Him. I still have to pursue Him above all else even though I have this woman. And so this woman and my relationship with her, every aspect that I have, that I experience with him, everything that we do is pointing me towards understanding how God loves me and how I'm to love him. It's just a representative. It's not going to fulfill me. It just points to him. Because at the end of the day, when this life is over, she won't be my wife anymore, but I'll still be his. So what do we do? At all costs, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, your next step is towards Christ. security of that and the pursuit of him because he's pursued you move towards him say yes to him 
When we say yes to his design, your imagination cannot keep up with what he will do in your life and what he will reveal to you, the way that he will love you. So as you respond this morning, there are many of you who need to go over here and have someone pray for you. And there's some of you who can only take the next step of communion once you've gone and received prayer. Then I would invite you to give and to worship. Let's worship together. I was just thinking what Matt was sharing, and, and he actually said this. Uh, our, and I, and I was kind of actually feeling this this morning, just talking to the Lord about it. Uh, our reality, true reality, has to be defined by, by what God says. It has to be. And if we don't go to the Word, if we don't go to the Lord, and we don't let Him shape our hearts, shape reality, we will be shaped by the world. We'll be shaped by our own pain, our trauma, our own experiences. And so I think there's an invitation to go to the Lord uh, this morning. The prayer team's going to hang out for a few extra minutes. Um, so you're welcome to get prayer there. And always, if the Lord was moving on your heart, now is the time to act. Don't let the opportunity uh, move past. Um, tonight is chapel, women's chapel. We got Krista Glanville who's going to be sharing. We got Pam Fraley sharing. We got Lori Anderson doing worship. We got Shelly Erickson uh, involved hosting. It's going to be a blast. That's tonight at the office, 6:30. It's always at sixth grade gals and up. Uh, it's for you. So um, there's that. Also want to say, if you're here, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, uh, come talk to one of us. We have something for you. We would love the opportunity to help and be a part of that. So any of the staff, uh, we'd love to help. Uh, for all of you, God bless you as you head on into your week. Go in peace. And if you want to hang out for a little bit, we don't officially end to 1230. Help tear down. Love you guys. Bless you.